Hello, Diana. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Virginia. Hello. It's good to hear you guys. We are on video chat is an important thing to understand. Yeah, so we can connect. Two of us are in San Francisco in our cozy homes very early in the morning. And Virginia is in New York. In, the, in Brooklyn in my cozy home a little later in the morning. <laughs> Welcome to Should We? A conversation with friends about the everyday choices that make us. I love being here and it's so fun to talk to you guys. It's so fun to talk with you too. We should let our listeners know that the new voice on our call is Virginia Heffernan, the author of the book Magic and Loss. Yes, hello. We know Virginia for a really fun reason, which is that I asked her for a free copy of her book, and she gave it to me. Diana, should we ask for free copies of books? Always try. That's my lesson. Um, what, what do you have to lose? So uh, she gave me one, and then I read it, and then I wrote a post about it. And then when we were running the Should We Kickstarter, I asked Virginia if she would be do an author chat with our backers as, as part of one of the tiers. And she said yes, and then we did it, and it was really fun, and we decided to do it again. So that's what we're doing now. There was a lot of saying yes. There's a lot of saying <laughs> yes on all our parts. And that feels like what should we is. I mean, the answer to should we question mark is always yes, right? Oh, almost, almost always. Yeah. yeah. so virginia we have a very important question for you okay we have several the first one is should we make internet friends oh i mean i want to drag it out because we've got a whole podcast but i my my response is three letters it's just the usual yes you guys are my internet friends i mean you know the bulk of my friends are internet friends Okay, is an internet friend someone that you haven't, like, whose cheeks you haven't kissed and whose hands you haven't held and whose hug you haven't enjoyed? Because if so, I haven't, like, seen you, either of your actual faces, you know? Well, yeah. Okay, I feel like maybe Diana and I have slightly different feelings about this. Let's hear it. Okay, I'll tell you about my feelings. My feeling is that I don't really like talking to strangers, and I think I bring some of that to the internet. Like, Twitter totally overwhelms me. I need, yeah. I need like, a little bit of a vetting process that the strangers on the internet who I might engage with and make friends with are, like, definitely real people, not bots, definitely who they say they are. I mean, I feel like this has stuck with me while everybody else moved on from their fear of strangers on the internet after like 1999. I still am a little iffy. I think it's really easy to make sort of a shallow connection with someone. And I don't say shallow like in a judgmental way, just like a connection that could be very ephemeral. Yes. You don't really know how it's going to go. Or a connection that happens really quickly and you think you know each other, but then like you don't really know each other. Yes, right. It's sort of 30 seconds from like, 
X told me to get in touch with you text and you know maybe we could talk about doing this project with spreadsheets together to like I want to touch your breasts you know in like seven texts that actually happened to someone yeah where you just are like wow you really could affect a lot onto those like text typos and like little text bubbles that are just of potential love you have to like go a long way to make those letters shimmer with erotic possibilities you know and yet we're used to doing it yeah totally i mean i have an attraction to making friends online having internet friends being the people whose cheeks i haven't held between my hands because them I have a lot of those and I really like them and I'm trying to figure out how to make friends, you know? I don't really know how I do. How how does one make friends? I think that uh, I have a lot of people who I met through what you could call the epistolary mode, which is like writing letters to each other seems like a really good way to become friends, but I'm a very poor respondent at this point in my life and so we're talking email problems. You mean email, right? Yeah. 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 I have a special love for Twitter DM right now. I just feel like it's really a nice spot because it's like that thing of being at a crowded party and then just like, how do I get you alone? You know, (laughs) you're just like, I'm just going to move you from this group to here. And you have to have a little like Twitter, I mean, um, Tinder like mutual thing because you have to follow both both follow each other before you can dm someone and it's still i know it's much more usual now but i don't get a lot of direct messages on on twitter i don't know about you guys so it's kind of special i i just got asked to review a book for the times and i was asked whether there was a conflict in reviewing the book meaning i knew the author and i was like I have to admit, I think I'm like team him and he might be team me, although I probably have laid eyes on him once or twice, but I just had a nice feeling about him. And that came entirely from the feeling that we had liked and retweeted each other before. You know what I mean? Yeah. You kind of know that there are people that never retweet you, even though like, you know, you're in their feed and you know, they're making a little decision to like, back off and that's fine but I don't know if that's a conflict or if it's a conflict to say like you know what this guy this author of this book I am favorably inclined to him not only because I like what he says in social media but because he likes what I say in social media you know it's just sort of like of course I know him he's writing about the internet like how am I not gonna have run into him on Pinterest or you know Quora or any one of these networks it's not quite a friend, but I like that sort of positive vibe, alliance, tribe feeling, which is just yeah. like, good on you. Like, I'll wish you a Facebook happy birthday. Like, it doesn't cost me that much to be like, keep up the good work. I was thinking about Lisa saying that she needs to pre-flight potential internet friends. Yes. And I was realizing that I try to pre-flight real life friends. It was actually a real problem for me in Germany because I didn't really follow uh, anyone except the people I worked with in my physical environment when I lived in Berlin. And I couldn't get to know them. I couldn't know what to talk with them about. And uh, I really need to vet people on the internet before I can effectively have conversations with them, it turns out. So I heard this wonderful, um, it was a couple of comedians talking about romance. It was actually like lesbian advice tips for straight girls. And the straight girl said she had recently switched to Tinder, 
having done most of her dating in three-dimensional space or like meeting people in 3D space. And she said for her, there was a big upside to Tinder because she wasn't physically biased. She wasn't going to like fall for someone completely because she was just like swamped with erotic attraction, you know, which happened to her in person. For her, that wasn't a great indicator of someone to get involved with. And so she was like, Tinder puts the brakes on that. You know, I have more texting with them and more whatever. But then when I meet them, the delta between my sort of attraction to them and text and my like almost absolute revulsion from them physically becomes really depressing, you know? (laughs) And I think this is sort of a profound question, which is like, what is the real person? Because I kind of feel like if you're killing it in social and physical space, like you're an athlete, you love how you look, you're like really warm and good in like animal environments as a kid, you probably are not going to be a reader, an internet addict, a huge user of social media. I mean, it definitely was my second choice as a kid. Like who didn't want to just be like some girl doing physical cartwheels and like loving the forest, you know? Someone asked me like, why don't, didn't you just snow? snowboard as a kid growing up in New England and I was like you think I could snowboard <laughs> like if I could snowboard did you think I'd watch up on Twitter like that was my first choice we're like definitely <laughs> in plan b right like I was bookworm whatever <laughs> but I kind of think like I don't know if I told you guys this but I finally like binge watched all of Downton Abbey and I was kind of obsessed with how when new technology comes into the house, it's the Earl that owns the house and Carson who runs the house, the men who have like a great seat at the table who hate the technology no matter what it is. You know, and I'm just like, that's right, because they are happy at the head of the table. They have strong voices. They run the place and they're just like, this hair dryer, this phonograph, this electric iron, this telephone is potentially undermining that authority. Yeah. You know, if you are like, great at meeting guys and girls at parties and converting those into friendships, then maybe you're less willing to develop the knack for meeting them online. So that's one idea. And then the other thing that I always have in mind, I'm just going to tell this and then you guys can make of it what you may, but the modern love editor at the New York Times said recently, or maybe a year ago, that the initial columns he got were from people who had a lot of sex with someone but felt like they hadn't gotten to know them and now he gets now he gets a lot from people who have gotten to know each other on text on you know whatever twitter dm whatever and haven't had sex you know so they're like oh there's this like missing physical thing and that's feeling like the comedian who was getting to know guys before she determined whether there was animal attraction You know, she's like, now there's this missing element of like too much intellectual property and too little physical connection. I feel like there is also an aspect to my hesitation about making internet friends, which is gendered. Like, I'm a little more suspicious about people online who present as male making contact with me yeah as opposed to women I'm a little more skeptical about like I really want to understand what their intentions are a little more I guess yeah yeah um but having said that I definitely have a number of male and female friends that I made on the internet Is there an approach that to you leads to like pretty much auto block or like unfollow 
for me, it's just the weird late night Facebook messenger thing of, hello, where I'm just like, (laughs) where does that happen? Why? You know, they're in another country and who knows? And hello. I mean, at least try a better seduction than that. (laughs) I got a Skype message yesterday from someone saying, hey, you around, uh, all lowercase, but I've been getting a lot of Skype messages from people whose accounts have been hacked linking to Baidu links. Oh, oh, really? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I just chose to like group this message in with those. And I was like, probably hacked. (laughs) I just, I just categorized it as like, no, do not even click or else bad things will happen. Okay, so we got to find out from Lisa because she's more cons- like more prudent probably than we are. What do you is it? How do you how do you break through your defenses? How does someone uh, get you alone if they want to lock you down as a friend? <laughs> I think they have to go through Diana. Yeah, I see that. I mean, it's true. All of the f- friends I can think of off the top of my head that I've made on the internet. It's been because we had Diana as a mutual connection. Either she introduced us directly or we just found each other because right. we were both connected to Diana online. So thanks, Diana. Do you have, and you don't have to say what it is, but do you have a message board that like a Web 1.0 message board that you just kind of go to that's like for couponers or fibromyalgia people or, or, um, or, you know, it's something where you're just like, like, hey, homies, I have no idea where you are. And yet I just like you. Like I used to go to fertility boards. Now I go to parenting boards where you just kind of weigh in with this crowd that you're not going to have any, like your handle is really opaque and nobody knows who you are. And do you have anything like that? You don't have to say what it is. And then it's like for furries <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, I guess I I can't really think of one anymore. I must have had one in the past, but I think like more and more I'm going to the internet for alone time. Like yeah. <sighs> uh, like lately I've been spending a lot of time on artsy, favoriting art that I love nice just for myself I don't know if there's a social component if there is I can't see it yeah and I think that's just because of how my my work has shifted over time to be so so collaborative I just spend so much of my day connecting deeply with other people and so I actually find quiet space on the internet whereas before like when I was in grad school I was going to the internet in search of human contact I was blogging I was like just putting myself out there as much as I could in hopes that someone would find me and connect with me and they did I made a great friend while the two of us were blogging about very similar experiences and somehow she found my blog and we would just comment on each other's blogs. We were possibly each other's only readers. Oh, that's so cool. So it's kind of letters, but facing out a little bit. Yeah. That's very, very cool. Did you find yourself writing for her? Yeah. That's a wonderful thing about the internet, that you can actually discover your audience. Yeah. The very person that you're meant to be writing for. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I mean, I also like this idea that you might use the internet as a place to be alone. 
I don't know if I told you guys this, but my 11-year-old son just made his first avatar, like our little head photo for Gmail. With profile photo, right? But I always think of it as like, it's an avatar that you'll then sort of surround with language and like create into a character. And, you know, you I wanted him to be like the freckle-faced Norman Rockwell kid that he is. But in fact, he like shows up with his hands interlocked behind his neck, leaning back like he's a, in a corner office, like a CEO. And I was like, why did you do that? Like these other 200 photos he took and chose from are much cuter. And he said, um, yeah, but don't I look powerful? And I was like, yeah, that's right. Of course. Your first foray into this world is just my primary goal is not to let there be a ghost of a chance that I'll be criticized. I mean, I was Athena in my first avatar. I wanted armor. I wanted like chain mail and like the full armor with the headpiece, like the mask over don't see me. And then you see adolescents fearing like you did when you were in graduate school. But what if I get no connection? My new name is going to be like shy gay boy or sad brunette or whatever, because I get one chance on earth and I'm going to sit here in my armor and like, for Christ's sake, I'm not going to find one friend. And then I think (laughs) we start to try to split the difference. You know, you don't want to be too much with your like overly photoshopped, perfect photo that like is basically armor, digital armor. Nor do you want to like vague book and be like overly wrist slitting in your posts. I mean, I put on Twitter one time, I just want one clearly good thing to happen. And people were like pissed because you can't do like cries for help like that. I didn't know then. Lots of people were like, we're worried about you, but also like this is vague booking, like take this away, you know? (laughs) And I thought that was really interesting, like too much PR and people hate it. And too much, you know, open, constant grieving. And that's not right either. That might be for your closest friends, but that's not for the social networks. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I had the experience of writing a lot after I had a death in the family. And it was like very straightforward. I I decided that I could not vague book it out, but I decided to blog about it. And I had a good experience doing so basically because it minimized my need to share with like 40 people I did care about what was going on for me individually. But I have felt in the years since like I need maybe 10 years of earned success online, like not like bragging, but just like being, you know, consistently delivering a positive yet self-aware message before I like can earn another, you know right to be truly sad. You sort of want to encourage people that you're not right now the like injured sick one and that you actually are available to do service and show compassion to (laughs) others for a short time before like your next six months of complete self-absorption you know exactly exactly it's like showing I ah, it's it's hard to even admit all of this because it's so managed but it is like I'm okay now like I recovered therefore I have the ability to recover therefore like don't worry about me but the next time I am sad take it seriously I want some help it's like that thing about how like people who are have like cancer or something you know hopefully it'll get better but it's like everyone needs to rally around you and then ideally you survive and you get better and then you're a survivor or whatever where some malaises um like very real malaises are just kind of continuous and it never really gets better 
And those are much harder to deal with. Lisa, as someone's like a little more reserved, have you ever sort of gone through a tough time in public or digital space? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the time I was describing where I was blogging and connected with a reader. Yeah. It was while I was in grad school and I had mono for months and was just completely sidelined. I really couldn't do anything. I couldn't do really basic things. Somehow, though, I could blog. Amazing. <laughs> I had the energy to, you know, try and write a post. I don't know, maybe almost every day or every few days. And uh, it helped me so much. Yeah. Kind of like reaching beyond what had become a really small world. I connected with a woman who was in Israel and had been in a car accident at the very same time I got sick. And she was sort of recovering at the same pace. We were just kind of encouraging each other. And it's interesting because I don't remember making like more connections than that, but it was just that one that I needed. Uh, yeah. There was someone... Um... I met in Montana. She was a um, rancher. I think I told her I wrote about the internet and she said, oh, I don't use the internet. You know, I don't like it. And I was like, you don't use eBay ever? Or like, you know, you don't order from Ella Bean? And she said, no, she didn't do any of that. And then we went on in conversation and she said, oh, but I do know someone in New York and she's coming to visit me. I met her 10 years ago on this fibromyalgia message board that and we've connected ever since and she's my best friend and I'm finally going to see her in person. I'm going to cry talking about it. I was like you sound like a very wonderful user of the internet. <laughs> you know, like I can't imagine a better use than that. Sometimes I think you come to those boards or those connections, maybe this seems far-fetched, but for hacks on the fertility board, you just want to hang out with people who are like who are in the two-week wait to find out if they're pregnant or are buying OPKs, ovulation predictor kits, because you think you might get some tips and tricks. But actually, you just want someone to kind of give you support and accountability for the stuff you're going through. And this kind of like ad hoc coaching that kind of can form online can be really, really powerful. The problem is I think it belongs to blogging, the message boards, and the pre- hyper-social internet, as you point out, more than it, you know, really belongs on Twitter. I don't know if that's, if that rings true to you, Diana or Lisa. That definitely rings true to me. I think um, now the idea of blogging on, on a distinct blog of my own feels, yeah. a, feels a little stale almost. I don't know why that is because I yeah. blogs were the first thing I checked every day and they were, I never kept one, but they were per, so personal and I yeah. just adored them. Something was missing from my day if I didn't hear about like this Tar Heels <laughs> fan that like was so into something and like he had a circle of friends that he was always kind of referring to and they were heavy in the comments and I never was, but I was always like, oh, there's that guy again, you know? And then I stopped going, you know, and I don't know why. Maybe it was because of the end of Google Reader. Possibly. I don't know. And what do you think? 
Diana. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think about why it would be blogs and message boards, and I suppose it's because the expectation of response on a blog is just so low. Like, some percentage of people will comment, but that's not the point. Like, one-to-one -one engagement is not the measure. And so it can be easier to take risks or be more fully expressive over the course of a blog post and just like see. I remember posting one uh, really personal essay and when I tweeted it out a few years back, I was like, I don't know if I'm more afraid that people will read this or that they won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but you yeah. can take that risk when there's a lot of space to be expressive, and then maybe that's where a spark of connection comes from in like the the throes of vulnerability plus bravery that you can you can express both over the course of a blog post where it's really hard to express both in a tweet. Yeah, that's right. Also, you know, at that length, I've published some stuff on Medium that I. I honestly, I have no idea what side of my brain is working. I'm just like, how about writing this poem about how I'm worried about money and put it on Medium? It's like the absolute opposite of like a brand of me. You know, I've been rereading the Tom Peters stuff about a brand of you from 20 years ago. Just the first idea of like, how are you building a platform and whatever. And mostly he was like, you need to be in op-ed pages of your local newspaper and on panel discussions. I was just like, oh, was he the beginning of the scourge of panel discussions or the like oversupply? <laughs> but Medium just, for me, for some reason, I was like, this is fine. This doesn't count or this is more free form. Maybe like I never had a Tumblr, but maybe the way people felt about Tumblr. It's like shaping the message on those platforms is very like, I'm this person on on Twitter and I'm this person on Facebook and I'm, you know, you're a little more, you obviously write at greater length, but you're less, or at least I'm less inclined on Facebook to be eccentric. It's like, that's where you're going to use mixed cases. That's where you're going to, you know, link and not make factual mistakes. And, you know, unless you're in that exact phase that Diana described of like chronicling something that's happening to you, a sickness or, or the suffering of someone around you or, you know, or something that you want to keep people apprised of, but also, you know, not have to make personal pleas for help to individuals in person, you know? Yeah. I mean, I frankly was furious when, when Bill Keller, the then, or I guess he'd just been executive editor of the New York Times, wrote criticizing a woman for tweeting about her cancer you know, he was like, social media is terrible because you should really die with discretion and stoicism like English people do. And I was just like, what anxiety is possibly being generated that posthumously you would say this woman had made a mistake in tweeting about her own suffering? I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what to say about that, except that stoicism and repression cannot be the answer no. to the, you know, potential risk of vague booking or bumming people out, uh, you know, on your timeline. There are plenty of ways to silence you if they, if they don't want to hear about it. And the other thing that people complain about on Facebook is that everyone's life looks too good, you know? Right, right. But it's interesting the, the language you use that there are plenty of ways to silence you if they want to. And I think, I think that's probably part of the frustration is that those who have privilege and power 
can silence the people they want to on their own channels, but it's limited to them. They exactly. can't silence them all the way. That's right. I think there's a wonderful thing about blocking on Facebook that is something that can't happen in social space where you disappear from Facebook to each other. So like if you see that a mutual friend has 40 likes on a post and you call them up, only 39 show up. It's like there's this ghost person who blocks you and you block who may be somewhere in the mix. But what I think is very strangely humane about that is you don't want to see someone so you have to snub them. Snubbing is like so silly and costly and embarrassing there's just so many times that, you know, I mean, hopefully you don't have that many fallings out, but that you'd rather like make an amends to the person by removing yourself from their lives. And similarly, the amend of theirs is like, I'm not going to show up in your life such that you have to make this difficult decision about whether to snub me or kill me with kindness or forgive me or, you know, it's just like, and poof, you know, and somehow I think that that can be very humane. You know, I wish I hadn't had to see my ex-boyfriend in, in high school every day after the breakup. It's just so hard to calculate your demeanor towards someone you've fallen out with. It's so hard to make that choice and know that you're making a choice and know that the other person knows you're making a choice. I think that that's where I'm getting to with why blogs and maybe message boards worked for that kind of connection because the expectation of any one person responding or even reading in the first place and all of the um, all of the metrics on that were so opaque that the assumption was nobody was reading it and then if somebody did and then responded then that was a meaningful positive choice but there was no such thing as an, uh, an implied negative choice of like not having seen it or not having responded yeah that's right exactly and how, I wonder, Lisa, did you and your Israeli friend find each other? Like, was that from search? Were you grouped together on a blog roll of, you know, people who were housebound and recovering or? You know what's crazy? She found me first and I don't know how she found me, but I think I was super vague about what was going on in the uh, blog okay. it just came out over time yeah so i don't know i don't know i mean that's kind of the magic i wonder if also there's this phenomenon in japan of the hikikomori they're shut-ins who choose to just like close their door against the world it was a subsequent phenomenon and then this is it going a few years back so it might have changed but of charisma hiki which were charismatic shut-ins or famous shut-ins because that crazy and anxiety provoking in older generations phenomenon of you're inside all the time and yet you have a following you know <laughs> which is like lisa when you had mono like yeah when, you know, it's that emily dickinson thing of like i'm sending this signal out in the world from my small place i just think yeah. it's a very um you know female writer thing all of us are writers. So, you know, to the original question about friendships online, I think that what we have are readers online and we're other people's readers, but it's a little bit like Elena Ferrante. The author is someone different from the prose or the photo or the Facebook likes or the Instagram photos or the Pinterest boards, those are, you know, maybe the products of the author, but they're not 
the person themselves. Even the pixels on a Skype call or the voice are different from the person themselves. A surprising and unpredicted effect of it is to like push back the idea of who you are and make you really wonder like, here I am, like ideally in a robust soul that can't be digitized, you know, that is like in my own body and that's safe here no matter what happens to my Twitter avatar, no matter what happens to an article I write that gets criticized or even the book or even if my Citibank account gets hacked, I'm still here safe right here where my feet are. If the internet has come to enlighten us about ourselves, that's one of the ways I think it it can work most powerfully. That is so interesting the way you describe that because I think while I was sick, I felt really the opposite, that I was most myself on that blog. Yeah. And the way I felt physically was like not me, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely an element of escapism. I mean, that's why I didn't want to feel like this, you know, freckly nine-year-old girl. I wanted to be Athena. And then there's some time there's a reckoning with this physical body, with this space. I mean, there's a reason I think that mindfulness and meditation, their rise has in the U.S. has tracked with um, the rise of the internet because there are all these meditation apps. And then I think in Tricycle, the Buddhist magazine, they were just like, don't use an app to meditate. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> like, what are you talking about? It's like, I try, I started thinking I wanted to do a couch to 5k. And this was what I did was download the app. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Virginia, I have to interject that I love Couch to 5K. I've done Couch to 5K oh. multiple times, but only because I love that the first few weeks are mainly walking. It like, looks so fun. It looks so fun on the app that I was like, and I've pretty much done it because I looked through the app. <laughs> but I, I really still intend to do it, and maybe we can sync up and do it sometime. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really nice because it's so easy. Like even the end result, 5K, it, unless you're truly couch bound, like if you walk any amount yeah. in a week, if you live in a city, you can probably run 5K today. But I love luxuriating in uh, the ability to be like, oh, you know, I'm really working up to this goal. Like it felt like progress, even though I was capable of the end result on day one. I just liked I liked applying effort to progress in a way that required no strain. It's also great that I have like never learned the metric system. So I'm going to tell myself that a kilometer is like seven miles. And then I'm going to feel like I've run a marathon. And just please never enlighten me about that. <laughs> okay. Last question. Should we live online? Mm, I am increasingly um, moving toward maybe as a 10-year goal, flip phone, some use of the dark internet, strong privacy settings. I just, I really do want to explore the world sort of right here and stop being a brain in a vat, you know, and start being like a fully realized set of like capillaries and skin problems and like all the <laughs> things that the body is, you know, I've sort of been thinking this feature bug thing is a little tapped out, but that our immortality is a feature and not a bug. Like they think it is at Google. That's like all of the humanities are grounded in the fact that we, you know, have 80 years on earth. And to the extent that you live in the internet, you live in a potentially immortal and inhuman world that 
is protective and interesting for a long time, and then it suddenly isn't, I think. Wow. Virginia, thank you. This was such a wonderful conversation. I actually just actually love you guys. Like the real <laughs> sense of love. <laughs> we have some people to thank. Uh, we would like to thank our Kickstarter backers for making this season possible. Thank you to Yosh at Faultline Studios for editing this episode. Thank you to Math Times Joy for our wonderful new identity. And thank you to the band Canada for our theme song, Hey Garland. Should you tune in next time? We'll leave it to you. Ha, 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 ha.